so good to see you all here today. And I love it when you sit in a different spot, so thanks. Because then I, it keeps me guessing, right, where everybody's going to be sitting. It, is anybody warm in here? A little bit warm, or is it just me? Okay, perfect, good. I prefer when the, uh, the air is off because we can hear better. But we're in for a real treat today, not only... Because Tom is here, but Tom, I know your voice will carry, and that's a good thing. Um, Would you please take your homework out? I want to reference that for a minute. It's on the yellow paper. And turn to the the back side. Let's take a peek at the looking day by day, because we're all going to need a little bit more time to work on that this week, in the next two weeks. Um, we really can't answer it well if we don't think about this question for a few days. Um, especially, you don't want to be thinking of it the Friday, right before Wellspring starts next time. So let's read it together so we can be thinking about it and we can be applying it for the entire two weeks before we meet again. So it says here, pray before you read, expressing your love for God and your desire for him to reveal more of himself to you in his word. You may want to stop while you're reading and pray as well. Here it is. What will you use from what you are reading to help you shepherd your heart throughout the day? Write about how it's going for you. Now this is going to be much more clear after Tom comes and teaches. But the reason we're telling it to you now is so that you can be thinking about that already so you can get started. Now we have a little schedule change and it's a wonderful schedule change. Chris Evans is going to be with us next week or in the next time, November 22nd. She's going to be talking about Mary and Martha So to prepare for our next lesson, let's look at that looking ahead part. So in the looking ahead part, we'll be reading from Luke and then two places in John. We'll be reading about Mary and Martha hosting Jesus and about the death and resurrection of Lazarus and then about Mary anointing Jesus. And for this question, you can record anything that you notice about Mary and Martha. So for that question, it says, for each woman, list some things that you notice about her. And then it gives some ideas. Now those ideas, they're just examples that um, of things you can look for. They're suggestions to keep us thinking, but those suggestions should not limit us. So it's fine if you want to just pray and read the passage and jot down what you notice. And I pray you have a blessed time digging into this in the next two weeks. So, as I said, we're such a treat to have Tom with us, one of our elders teaching really a life-changing lesson. So with that in mind, I'd like to pray, and then we'll welcome Tom. Oh, holy, sovereign, gracious Father, we just humble ourselves now, open up, our minds to what we will be taught today. And Lord, I pray that it would penetrate us deeply and we would truly be changed by this. And it's all for your glory. 
that we do this. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for coming. Uh, after that introduction, I hope I don't terribly disappoint everybody. Uh, it is really, 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 really good to be with you. Yep. The, yep. the recorder is going. Uh, it is really a blessing to be able to come and teach to this particular part of the body. Uh, I would really want you to know that the elders have given a lot of thought, a lot of planning, and a lot of prayer to the, the Wellspring ministry. The core disciplines that are at the backbone of Wellspring have always been the core of Wellspring. Uh, as a matter of fact, they've been the, at the core of what BUILD has been. Uh, just a little history lesson about BUILD and Wellspring. Uh, Scott Maxwell came here in December of 2003, and our first offering of BUILD was to men, and that was the fall of 2004. And we did that for two years, and then we said, let's invite women to BUILD. And as I look in this group, how many women were part of the, 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 okay, a couple, there were women that would come to build, and it was a co-ed type of uh, venue, and that lasted one year. I don't know why it was only one year, but that happened for one year. And it was about another five years before Wellspring became a vital ministry of Grace Bible Church. And that has been since 2010. This is the fifth year of Wellspring. Who was in Wellspring the first year? Anybody here? Michelle? A few of you. Okay. Great. Kind of like me, I've never graduated from Bill. It's my seventh time doing it. But I am taking this year off. But... Uh, but before we go on, let, let's review, and on the back of your binders, the Wellspring uh, disciplines. And this ministry, as I said, has the core of it has not changed. These disciplines have not been a, a moving target from year to year. The core of this ministry is that you would be women that are pursuing God in His, in his Word. Uh, God's desire for us is that we would know Him, that we would know His attributes, that we would trust Him, that we would worship Him. And the only way you and I are ever going to grow in our worship of God is to know God. The only way you're going to know God is to be in God's Word. That is today how He speaks to us. And because of the time that you spend in the Word... It, it must. There should be an expectation for all of us that it, it will impact your life. Here, here's the thing. We, we don't read God's Word. And I, I can say this because I've done it, where you just check off the box I read today. And you close your Bible and you think, what did I read today? Uh, don't judge me. You guys are like that. But... But the reality of it is, we read because we must change. And with us changing, it's going to impact our home. Whether you live by yourself, 
the impact is maybe entertainment in the house the flavor as people come and visit you it's different there's something different about walking into a home where a godly person lives maybe you live with other people maybe you are the instrument God's going to use to make that environment a godly environment but here's the thing you go to the word of God with an expectation God change me and it will impact your home and then it impacts your ministry it's it's how you serve others it's how you serve in small group it's how you even go to small group it will impact you you know and I'm sure if you've been around churches for very long you will see people that that really seem like they're really really on fire and then you don't see them Uh, and I think my experience has been why you see that is you see people that have never grown in their discipline in pursuing the Lord through his word that it is changing them impacting them where it's impacting their home and it impacts how they interact with others their ministry when when we use the term ministry it's not that it's the official that you're doing something ministry is over a cup of coffee and you being ladies that are in the word of God will affect conversation while you're at the Starbucks having a cup of coffee it must God's word promises. And here, here's the thing. Just, I, I want to encapsulate the importance of Jesus' words and then have you understand it in the disciplines, the core of Wellspring. Jesus tells us in Mark 1.15, repent and believe. Repent means to change. It, it's not a, a one-time event. Of course, salvation is. But the sanctification process, we are repenters. We are continually changing. To the day I die, I need to change. I need to be more like Christ. And believe, I think in our culture, it's been, it's been so devalued that it's a one-time event that we just believe Jesus died on the cross. No. Belief will change us. Belief because we know the Lord. We grow in our knowledge of the Lord. So with that in mind, I pray that the time that we spend together looking at just kind of an expanded version of the heart, I pray that it would be practical for you. I pray that it would be practical in my own life. Uh, I am a man that needs to continue to grow and continue to change. So let's pray one more time and then we'll kind of dig in. Father, I thank you so much for just the opportunity to boast about your work in each one of us. Father, we come as people utterly dependent on you. Utterly dependent on your faithfulness to do what you promised. That you will finish the work that you have begun in us. Utterly dependent on you that you are a trustworthy God. You tell us that you are working out all things for the good, for those that love you. Father, I pray that we would leave here today more in love with you because of the time we spent than when we first sat down. And I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.
I realize that this uh, lesson is categorized as D1, Discipline 1, the heart, but I truly pray that it is practical enough that you can be applying it, and then you can not only be applying it to your own heart, but you can be applying it in your home or even in your ministry, like I said, as you have a cup of coffee with a friend. Uh, so I would like you to be thinking more on multi-tracks than one track. This is about my heart. This is about my heart. Th- this is about you being a good participant in your small group. It's about you helping your fellow sister. Uh, our, our desire is that we would just grow in our pursuit of holiness. And what I'm going to talk about today is kind of a buzzword, and it's what I like to call shepherding my heart. Uh, let me probably explain, and when I say shepherd my heart, I might say shepherd your heart. They're, they're interchangeable, but let me say what I don't mean first. Uh, I don't mean shepherd your heart is when you're sitting there with your Bible open. Uh, shepherding your heart is something that we are called to do all day long. Uh, we must be continually evaluating the way we think, what we're thinking about. And so this lesson is in the category of us as Christians, shepherding our heart, shepherding your heart. Uh, but I would, would not want you to think I'm talking about a, a quiet time when you're, you're just reading your word, uh, the Bible. Uh, this is about when you're driving down the road, uh, for me, it's when I'm standing in line just about anywhere. I must be a person that shepherds his heart. So, as you hear that, shepherd your heart. Think of that. Think broader than when you're sitting there with your Bible open. Uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about shepherding your heart with your Bible open, but the primary part of this lesson is going to be how to shepherd your heart when your Bible's closed. And, uh, you know, Scripture has an expectation that we will be men and women that care well for our souls. So it's got to be broader than just the few minutes that, when I say few minutes, the, the small amount of time compared to the 168 hours we have in a week that, you're, that you are reading your Scriptures. As the wellspring discipline applies until you've cared well for your own soul, you cannot begin to meet the next expectation Scripture has for you, and that you would care well for others. Whether it's shepherding in your house, again, shepherding at work, a co-worker, at school, anyone you come in contact with. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think if you've talked to uh, any of the ladies that have been walking with the Lord for any period of time, uh, they would tell you that uh, ministry just frequently happens. Uh, I know in my life, uh, I can get on an airplane, and I really like to be left alone on airplanes. Uh, God doesn't want me to be alone on airplanes, and he will inevitably put somebody right next to me that is in my space because those seats are so small. But ministry truly just happens. And I, I would tell you this, if you have not prepared and been disciplined for a period of time, you will not be ready for the divine moments that the Lord brings to you, that you can care for somebody else. I, I remember, I'm going to tell just a brief story. 
because uh, I think I have time. I, I, I joke about being on an airplane. When I fly Southwest, I get the A ticket because I want the aisle, and I, then I pray that it's not full and the seat next to me is empty, and I try to look unfriendly. I'll sit there, you know, and I start loading the plane. I'm reading my Bible that nobody would want to sit next to me. So I show up at the airport. I'm flying to Orlando, Florida. I show up at the airport only to realize I picked this flight because of the time of day. It either took off or the time of day it arrived. Did not notice it was not a direct flight. So I get to the airport and I'm already grumbling in my heart. I, you know, who wants to lay over in St. Louis? So, oh. so here I go. Pick the wrong flight, but I love what time I'm going to get to Orlando, I guess. So we land in St. Louis, and I'm sitting there, my boarding ticket, I'm happy. And this guy comes, and he goes, is the seat next to you taken? I guess you're sitting there. So I stood up, let him sit down. The next two hours was marriage counseling 101 to a man that was on his way to go end his marriage. And if I wasn't prepared with the Word of God, and I am still, this happens probably six years ago, I am still regularly in contact. He will send me an email how he and his wife are doing today. And I say this not to boast on anything. It's, it's about boasting what the Lord does with His Word in the heart of a believer. You're not ready for ministry unless you have prepared yourself. So... Hopefully today we will uh, learn more about shepherding our hearts when our Bible is closed. You should have received uh, two sheets to write on, because I think it's a front and back. I think you should have received two circles. And then just this morning I brought in, I came across a quote yesterday, and it should say on it uh, at the very top, uh, you talk to yourself. And if you don't have those, they're back on the back table. You will not interrupt me if you get up and walk over and grab anything that you're you're missing. But uh, those are the sheets you should have. Let, let me tell you why I want to bring this message to you. This this message comes from years of evaluating my own heart. It, it comes from years of being the counselor and listening to other people just tell me what's going on in their lives. It, it's from years of just sitting, talking with other Christians... And interesting enough, Scott and I, Maxwell and I, were sitting at uh, Paradise Bakery probably two years ago when these circles first got developed. And we were talking about just some ministry going on inside the church. And this whole lesson was gotten in my conversation as we talked and wrote things on napkins and looked at it. And... This all evolved from just us having a cup of coffee at Paradise Bakery. So, if you don't like it, blame Paradise Bakery. But uh, but here's what it is. What I've seen is a pattern in people where a, a great desire, a good desire, a moral desire changes from a desire and it becomes thinking something that we deserve something even to the point of, I demand it. And if you're thinking, well, I don't think I do that, let, let me tell you, you were born that way. 
think about a baby. And if you can't relate to this, we'll have next generation applications and you can sign up and, and we'll put you over in the nursery for a little bit. But you think about a baby who wants a good thing. I want some food or I want some sleep. And how it, you can watch it turn from something that might be a good desire to uh, they're really thinking they deserve it and now they are demanding it. It is our nature to take something good and then make it something that we think we deserve and then something that we end up demanding. For some, it could be a desire to have a husband. For others, it could be, I got the husband, I just wish I had a godly husband. It could be a home or a designer home or a clean home. Or maybe you've got people that you live with would like a clean home the same way you like a clean home. But there's men, those are good desires. There's nothing wrong with those desires. It, it could be a promotion at work. Uh, it could be a desire for godly parents that would just love Jesus. Uh, it could be a certain weight. It could be a certain look. It could be friends. It could be friends that understand you. There are many things that are wonderful desires. It's okay to desire them, but in the midst of your desire can come disappointment, things just not going as planned, things not going as you hoped for, and it turns a desire into sinful patterns in a person's life. I have seen a subtle complaint turn into full-on pursuit of sin. I have seen grumbling turn into church discipline. Something that's just started with a complaint. It is, I believe this message exposes the reality of Jeremiah 17.9 and how true it is that the heart is deceitful. Who could understand it? This is a message that I have to teach to myself all the time. I don't want you to think, wow, after you hear this, if you like this, say, wow, Tom's got it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. I still struggle with this. I still need to change. Uh, I am just one beggar helping other beggars find the bread. Uh, So, believe me, part of coming and just thinking through and preparing this is comes with a lot of conviction from the Holy Spirit of just areas where I need to continue to grow. So, you know, it, it's a reminder for, for all of us at the end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 13, Paul says, speaking to believers, he said, you need to evaluate yourself. Be sure you're in the faith. Be sure you're, you're walking worthy of the calling. Uh, I speak to myself, I speak to you. We need to be examining ourselves. So, let me start to the handouts. Uh, and I'm going to ask. start by asking a, a question. And it's section one on your handout. It says, shepherding my heart when my Bible is open. And the question is this, why do you read the Bible? Take a moment and just write down, what, what are some of the reasons that you read your Bible? 
As you continue to write your thoughts there, you know, I realize you might think, wow, here we are at Wellspring, Tom. That's a really odd question why you asked me why I read my Bible. And I would say, if you have not answered this or acknowledged this question daily, you stand a chance of just missing many blessings when you are in the Word. I I know that you're no different than me. I, I know I can go to the Word of God and miss the blessings God has because I have not thought about why I'm there. I have a reading plan. Well, that's, a, that's good to have in your list of why you read the Bible, but it's not sufficient. But some days, my heart, that, that's basically my reason for going is I have a reading plan. Um, think about this. I know for, for some of you, and I became a Christian at 28. Either I didn't have ears to hear it, or it was a slow growth. Believe me, it was a slow growth. But I was not encouraged as a new believer to be reading my Bible with a lot of discipline and with a lot of expectation of the blessings of being in God's Word. It, it was a foreign concept to, to be reading God's Word. So, if you're like me, and that is your upbringing, that maybe you were not encouraged to have the discipline of being in God's Word. Maybe you became a believer as an adult, as I was. Uh, it, it's, it does take a discipline. Let me, let me talk about, for those that you have kids, uh, it, it's fun I, when I get to read to my grandkids and just ask them, why are we going to read the Bible? And just hear them express. So I, I would encourage you, whether it be with your friend at Starbucks having coffee, to ask, why do you read the Bible? Because if we don't think about it, we are not coming to Scripture with an expectation. I, I do, truly believe God desires us to come to His Word with an expectation. It's not just a matter of checking off a box. Uh, so, as you go to small group, it's a great question to ask people. Why do you read your, your word? Uh, there's several great reasons to, to read scripture. And we must equip our hearts, our minds with good answers to that question. Uh, still on your handout, though. We come before God with our Bibles open, one, to grow in our knowledge of God. Grow in expressing our love for God as well as to know God. Grow in our enjoyment and our delight in God. You know, uh, even to grow in our fear of God. Remember, God is the one who has the power to send to heaven, to hell. Uh, we should be in awe of God. You know, it, it's, I, another, I gotta take a little segue. I was, I'm still learning. I'm still changing. This is really cool. I was, uh, reading Psalm 119, verse 18, probably about a month and a half ago now. And scripture says, talks about God being wonderful. And I stopped. And I thought, 
You might be thinking, Tom, this is so dumb. But it was really an epiphany for me. And I thought, if I think God is wonderful, it should leave me to wonder. And when you wonder, you should be in awe. And I'm thinking, wow, how am I doing at being in awe with God? Sure, we have moments, but this is something you have to think about. It just doesn't happen. And so I spent about 15 minutes that morning just absolutely praying through areas where I see the awesomeness of God. And it was cool. And that was just one verse. I thought, wow. But I need to grow in my fear of God. He is a God that is awesome. Uh, It grow in my understanding of my need for God. I need to grow in my relationship with God. The primary hope to bring this message to you is wrapped up in this. That we would grow in our holiness of life. I hope the time that we spend today will better equip you to recognize your, your sin. See patterns of sin and more importantly how to fight sin when we see it in ourselves. Although I, what I talk about so far is shepherding your heart with your Bible open. I, I want to now directly focus on shepherding your heart all day long. You know, and I'll, just to, again, a little side note. If you have failed to ask yourself why you read the Bible before you open it, I would say many days you're not prepared. You're not prepared to shepherd your heart all day long. The second point on your outline is shepherding your heart throughout the day. It is listening to myself, my thoughts, my reasoning. And I'm so sorry, because I know that's got to be horrible to listen to the raspiness. And I came across this quote yesterday, and that is the quote that says... Great, so I ask you to be sure you have a copy of it. I don't. Uh, I do. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I came across this yesterday. It's by Paul Tripp, and I'll tell you what. He sums up in one white page what I'm going to talk about for an hour and 15 minutes. So uh, I, I just had to read this to you. <clears throat> no one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. People laugh at that statement, but I'm really quite serious. You're in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You interpret. I am so sorry for the fraud in my throat. You interpret, organize, analyze what's going on inside, outside of you. You talk to yourself about the past. You talk to yourself about the future. You talk to yourself about what you experience in the present. Obviously, this is an internal conversation. If you had a conversation out loud, they would probably put you into a ward. Now, I realize it's going to take somebody a little bit older than some to understand that they used to have wards for this. Now they got whole hospitals for this. 
but it used to be just a ward in a hospital but if you're under a certain age you wouldn't get what I just said anyway sorry my attempt at humor but that's why it's so dangerous you often don't even realize that you're saying things to yourself but you are you are saying things to you that will shape your desires your actions your theology what you are saying to you about God and your circumstances do your words stimulate faith hope and courage or does your talk stimulate doubt discouragement and fear do you remind yourself that God is near or do you reason with yourself that given your circumstances, he must be distant. Here's the question. How wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered is your conversation that you have with yourself every day? Do you remind yourself of your need? Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run towards him in those moments when you feel like running from him? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. What will you say today? God bless. And he has some reflection uh, questions to think about that. But that is precisely what uh, this message is today. It's, it's about how we talk to ourselves. And uh, on diagram one, is there's, there's two, and one's kind of a, a gray tone in the circle, and I hope, yeah, you got color copies, good, because that would really be terrible if they were just the gray scale. And the other, the second one we're going to look at, it's got the blue, but we're going to start with the gray one. And, and this is the, the pattern of I desire, I deserve, I demand. And, and I think to start with, we need to be thinking biblically about my desires, about your desires. Uh, there are, again, wonderful things to desire, but we must think biblically about it. In First Peter one twenty two, uh, does your desire include a love for others? Second uh, Corinthians five two, does does your desire include a longing to be with the Lord? Are, are your desires are they eternally focused? Second uh, Corinthians five nine says we make it our goal, we make it our aim to please Him. Are your desires in accordance with pleasing Him? Ephesians one four, we're called to be holy and blameless in His sight. Are your desires that you have, you know, are you considering to be holy and blameless? Again, Hebrews thirteen twenty one, uh, to be pleasing in His sight. But what I might hear myself tell myself throughout the day concerning these desires, it is easy for us to think, I desire, I really deserve it. And then we begin to, we can begin to demand it. And this can be so subtle. Uh, let me, just, uh, just a little truth about myself. Uh, although I didn't do it for a career, but I think God wired me in such a way that he really wanted me to be an efficiency expert because I can go in anywhere where it's a customer service thing 
and I know I can do it better. <laughs> and I can be disappointed with customer service because I know how to do it. Don't laugh at me and judge me. I don't think some of you are much different, you know, but I can go. <laughs> but I, I could take something like good customer service and I could just feel it coming out of my heart, coming out of my esophagus to the point where it's only self controlled that I'm not telling them what I think of their customer service. Uh, but it, it's subtle though, it, it's, it's in your heart. And you might be pretty proud of yourself because sometimes I am thinking, well, at least I didn't let that person have it. Yeah, but God knows what's going on in my heart. I, I need to, you know, here's what change looks like. At a moment like that for me, change is I need patience. And change just isn't not grumbling. Change would be redeeming that moment God, you obviously gave me this moment to thank you for something, to, to be praying, to, to be grateful. You know, to go to the post office and know that the letter goes somewhere for 44 cents, that's really a bargain. But I could go there and see the long line, and I'm telling you, that's not my first response. I, I need to be guarding my heart when I see myself begin to complain. So I, I want you to realize, when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about some full-blown, you've really just had some bold sin. I'm talking about the grumbling that happens in your heart. Because God knows what's going on in there. He, he didn't transform us for different actions. He transformed us for different thinking. And if God has this for me today... Am I going to agree with him, or am I going to argue with him? So, you know, and I'll tell you what, the, the getting caught in the I deserve, I demand typically goes back to the five verses above. Is it, is it a love for others? Am I, am I really looking, having an eternal purpose as focus as I think through this? Am I truly living in a way to be pleasing to him? So let's talk about the circles. Uh, the first diagram, the gray one, in case you didn't get it, this is the wrong way. This is the path of uh, discouragement, for disappointment, discouragement, and despair. Uh, in the secular world, that despair over here, they would call that depression. But I think a, a better biblical word for it is, is despair. And... I would want you to look at these bold points here, the disappointment, the discouragement, and despair, and we're going to call those red flags. So when you sense disappointment, just pretend you see a red flag being waved in front of your face. But as the circle goes, it is it's, it starts with being wise in my own estimation. It's thinking I know what's best. Thinking that my plan A is better than God's plan A. The second one, boastful. Second Timothy three two. That, that is a frightening verse. A lover of self. I care about myself more than others. Boastful. I'm proud. I'm ungrateful. Uh, yeah, I, I think of that. You know, gosh, I, I hope there's no postal workers here because I, 
that is one place. And when when I was still working, I used to have to go to the post office every day. Oh, I didn't realize they built post offices for my sanctification, but I was I could see myself being ungrateful. It, I, truly, the post office is obviously a praise. It really is. Uh, but I would see more just my will and just enough about me. We're here to talk about you. Uh, but Second Timothy three two, it's unholy without love, without self control. That's what happens when I become boastful, grumbling. I can complain. I argue, complaining about others, and then you have your first disappointment. The first red flag is disappointment. You can become bitter. You become disputing, you're arguing, and you're a lover of self. There's selfish ambition. You seek yourself. You, you seek what you want. You become critical of others. It, it, it becomes impossible to see evidences of God's grace in others because you've become critical. And right here, right here, is one scripture tells us that we are a lover of pleasure and comfort and and that happens just about the time when you get to discouragement and and here's the thing I want to say about the lover of pleasure you might say well I don't see that myself It, it could be shopping uh, spending money when you don't have money to spend. It could be eating. When we get discouraged, when we get disappointed, the sinful nature can, can look like just wasting time. TV, the internet, uh, work, exercise. And, and you know, I know we need to work and it's good to exercise, but I'm talking about excessive behaviors. When, when we do things to excess, that is being a lover of pleasure. And, and I would say, as you're having your, your coffee with a friend at, at the Starbucks and you see excessive behaviors, I'm telling you, it's a safe question to ask them. Are you disappointed about something? Are, are you discouraged about something? Is something going on in your life? Because I, I've looked at myself, I've sat with others, uh, and I don't want to say 100%, so I'll say 99.99% of the people, when you see sinful patterns in their life, there is a discouragement and there's been a disappointment. And it, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol. And I, here we are in a Christian setting. And it's a reality, even around Christians. Uh, it could be just, you know... Romance novels. It, it could be whatever you're doing to bring yourself comfort. You love yourself. We love ourselves so much that we want to bring ourselves comfort. When we see disappointment, when we see discouragement, uh, we don't run to God's Word because that's what the blue scale circle. We're going to talk about how to correct this. But when disappointment comes, when discouragement comes, in that you will find yourself being a lover of pleasure. Uh, uh, Being really, 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 really honest about myself, I can tell you 
it's there's times where it's easy for me, it's possible for me. Now I'm trying to make myself sound better than I really am. I could blow right past disappointment and not even recognize I'm disappointed. I, I could have things going on and it could be a disappointment to me and I'm not even, it's so subtle. It, it's just that little in your heart. You're just not happy with traffic. I'm not happy with the conversation I just had with my spouse. I'm not happy with... It, it can be so subtle. And, I, and I'm being honest. I hope you're not like me. There's sometimes I could be on my way to being discouraged before I even recognize what's going on. Uh, so I, I pray you're not like me, but I, I would say that just for your unheightened red flag alert in your own life to be watching yourself. Uh, you know, you could, you could be grumbling and complaining and not even be aware that that's what you're doing. We can uh, become discouraged before I even realize that we are in sin. You know, I'm going to end with a quote and we'll take a brief break, but uh, just a, a quote about uh, listening to yourself. And it was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He has a book uh, that's called uh, Spiritual Depression. And it's 21 or 22 chapters. What it is, it's 21 or 22 sermons. A little lady sat in the front row, shorthanded his messages. After he did his 22 messages on a row about spiritual depression, she hands him the manuscript, which became this book. And it's frequently on our book table. I don't know if it is right now, but in, in his book table, here is what Martin Lloyd said from the pulpit, talking about spiritual depression. He stated, The problem we have is that we listen to ourselves when we should be speaking to ourselves. And the point is this. We can tell ourselves that we desire is something really, really that we deserve. And we can go on to say, I'm going to demand it. And as we turn the corner, we are going to get to a point where we're talking about the other circle, about the combating the, uh, <clears throat> the disappointment and discouragement and despair that can happen. You know, b- before we take a break, let me just draw your attention back to the, the grayscale circle. Because I, I would want you to recognize uh, how this circle can continue. It, it can be envy and jealousy. It, it's ungrateful. It could be anxiousness about what's going to happen tomorrow. It could be anger, vengeful, overcome by evil. At, at the point of despair, the, the, the point of depression, you could become prayerless, without peace. You bite and devour. You can be hopeless. And, and here's the thing. We are capable of just swirling in this circle where it is a day after day. It's it's a it's the Groundhog Day movie. Remember every day it was a, you have to be older like me to remember that probably. But you swirl in it and you are continually disappointed, you're continually discouraged, you're continually in in despair thinking that God will never change these circumstances. And uh, we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about how to combat that. You know, I, uh, before I move on, just 
because of the subtlety of this battle that we fight sanctification and our battle against sin you know I, I would say and again I, I would easily say 100% but I'll say 99.9 because but most counseling settings that I see uh, and I'm involved around stems from something that is in Second Timothy 3 2 uh, unforgiveness a lover of self boastful proud and I, I only say this just as, as a, a warning to myself a warning to you that it can be so subtle we don't even recognize it's going on around us uh, you know just a, another just a little side note about me personally uh, when we were talking about desires and I said uh, about parents about godly parents uh, I my mom passed away in 1987 and my dad passed away in 1995 and uh, with my dad uh, whenever I would not, not believers come from I come from a Roman Catholic background uh, they wouldn't even be classified my mom would have been classified as a good Catholic but after her death the death of a, my brother another child the bitterness that came in uh, I would say my dad wasn't even a good Catholic you know he his bitterness the hard hard circumstances in life embittered him and Every time I would try to bring the gospel to him, uh, he would. In I have this vision in my mind. It's it's like he was a bricklayer, and the bricks that he laid in building this wall. Every time I tried to bring the gospel, would normally be foul language. So that would be his way of saying, "Be quiet, Tom." And my dad would, had been passed away, so I'm not talking, you know, 1995 is when he died. It was probably 1998, I was sitting with a friend. Ministry happens over coffee. We were having a cup of coffee, and, and I'm just kind of relaying a story that I just relayed with you about my dad. And I was, three years later, I'm still bitter about my dad rejecting the gospel. That's a wonderful thing to to have somebody take the gospel and love it, cherish it, and come to saving faith. And he says to me, is, you think you need to forgive your dad? You sure sound bitter. It was so subtle. The bitterness was just something I kind of carried around, kind of wore it, and it was so subtle I didn't even recognize I was a bitter man towards my father who couldn't do it. He'd been dead for three years. And my point is, in telling you a story like that, start your heart. It, it, it is subtle. It, it can be very subtle. So here we go. We're going to talk about uh, the other circle, the blue circle. Yes? Yeah. And he says, um, why is your face full? 
if you do not uh, if if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Mm. Isn't it what we what you were saying that we need to see in our hearts what yeah. I, I, I'm kind of giving an expanded thought. It, it wasn't enough for me. Here, here I was, bitter towards my father. It wasn't enough for me just to put off bitterness. I had to replace it. I had to replace it. There, there's two things that happen. It's, it's the repent and believe. And this is just a side note. Uh, this is how scattered my brain works. So... Here's the side note. Um, There must be change. The the bitterness had to leave. So we're talking about change. And then what has to come is worship. How in the midst of, in in my case, in my dad's situation, how do I become a worshiper of God as I think about my dad? It's not enough to say, well, I'm just going to set aside bitterness. No, something needs to replace it. It's Ephesians 4, 25 and following. Scripture doesn't say uh, to the thief, don't steal. Do something useful with your hands. It doesn't say to the liar, stop lying. It's to tell the truth. So when we put off this change that must take place, The the goal is that we become better worshipers. I I must change, and I must be a better worshiper. So as as I put off discouragement, and I'm getting way ahead of myself in my notes, but as I put off the discouragement and the disappointment, I have to be putting on something, and I have to be putting on worship. It's not enough to be blue and sad, and now I'm happy. I need to be a worshiper. Change. I don't want to underestimate. Change is important. But, and I think the reason why people don't change frequently, there's two reasons. And boy, this is a whole other lesson. There's two reasons why people don't change. One, they don't want it. Two, they don't know what they need to change into. How, how can you change if you don't know what the goal is? It's not enough just to stop lying. Change means I'm a worshiper. I need to become a worshiper. So, and I could talk about change for another hour and 15 minutes, but that's my only hope, and your only hope is that God will complete the work He's begun. That it tells us that there's change. There's got to be change. Thank you, Christina, for the segue because that, that is no, that is so important. Is you know, it's it, it's the put-offs are great, but there's got to be something else. Uh, all right, what I must tell myself throughout the day, and again, we're we're looking at these circles, and and there's a change here. What what has changed? It goes from I, in the grayscale, is I desire, I deserve, I demand, to I desire what I truly deserve. And then it's the relinquishing my perceived rights. Uh, There's no demands. 
you know, what does Scripture say I deserve? You know, for the sake of time, I, I will read the verses to you. Uh, but you might want to follow along. But if you don't, just make note, reference to them and go read them on your own. But Romans 2, 5, and 6. You know, what does Scripture say I deserve? But because of your stubbornness, of your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgments will be revealed. Verse 6 says, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Scripture tells me clearly, I deserve wrath. Romans 5, verses 6 through 12. For while we were still helpless, at an appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For rarely will someone die for just a per- for, for a just person, though for a good person perhaps somebody might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved from his wrath. We deserve wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. Here's the thing. Scripture says, you and I being here today is much better than God says we deserve. God says we deserve death. Romans 6, 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, Scripture tells us, you want to know what you deserve? As you think about I desire it, I deserve it. Here's what we need to tell ourselves. What I truly deserve is what God tells me I deserve. I deserve His wrath. I deserve death. This is a good day. I, you know, we should put the little three-by-five card up on the mirror in the bathroom. So when we wake up and we drag ourselves to the bathroom in the morning, we can look and say, this is better than I deserve. God is giving us this day. Point three on this section, uh, what I must tell myself throughout the day concerning my perceived rights. And I know you're so familiar with this. And uh, it, it's the picture of Paul. It's Second Corinthians 12. But what happens in the, the first seven, six verses is Paul relaying a story, his Damascus Road experience and, and seeing the Lord. And he says, whether I was in heaven, whether the Lord came... Paul saying, I don't know. But he sees Jesus. And he gets to verse 7, and here's what he says. And this is you and I relinquishing our rights as well. Boasting is necessary. It's not profitable. For I move on from the visions and relations of the Lord. So he's talking about... I'm sorry, I picked it up in verse 1. I'm going to drop down to to verse 7. Especially because the extraordinary revelation, because everything, his Damascus Road experience, therefore... So that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. 
Remember the gray circle about thinking you know what's wise and knows what's best. Verse 8, concerning this, I pled with the Lord three times. Take this from me. And I know for each one of us, there's, there's things in our lives that we have pled three times for to the Lord. But Jesus' response to Paul is, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take no pleasure in weakness, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and the pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. Here's the point. You may think you have the right to something. No, we deserve death. We deserve hell. This is really a good day. And if we aren't getting what we think we deserve, and we pray to the Lord, and the Lord says, not now, wait. Okay. We, we can be okay with that. His grace is sufficient. Do you, do you believe His grace is sufficient? I know it's true. I, I know it's true. I, I got the, the head knowledge. I, I want the heart. I want the 18-inch journey to be complete of just truly believing. I know God's grace is sufficient for me. Uh, let, let me go on with the, uh, the blue circles. It's, it's when disappointment happens, it's short-lived. It's as you start here, if the Lord wills, it's being able to say, if this is what God wants, it's James chapter 4, verse 13. Yeah, it's interesting if you go back to James 4 1, it starts with, What causes fights and quarrels among us? Isn't it your not evil desires? It's just your desires. But, but our planning needs to. It's not a call not to plan. It's a call to not leave the Lord out of our plans. It's to depend on Him in the midst of it. It's love does not seek its own. We, we care about others. I'm setting aside my rights to love the people around me. I'm not wise in my own estimation that I know what's best. I, I need to be humble. I need to realize that others may know something that's best. And if the disappointment comes, it's short-lived. And then you, ha- you can be patient. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Thankful, forgiving, gentle, kind, loving. And, and here's the thing. What's missing right, right there, and what I pointed out right there, it, it's the sin of being the lover of comfort and pleasure. You're, you're trusting the Lord in the midst of one I have this desire. I know what God says I deserve. This is a good day. And I'm setting aside my perceived rights by saying, God, your grace is sufficient for me. If this is not what you have for me today, this is sufficient. It continues on, and it's contentment, and there's a need for strength. We don't depend on ourselves for strength. We depend on the Lord. Endurance, self-control, it's joyful. We're hopeful, and we're not hoping in ourselves, we're not hoping in our own circumstances, we're hoping in the Lord. And and I'll tell you what, if you want to become prayerless, you become hopeless. But when you're hopeful, you continue to pray. You're not vengeful, you're devoted to prayer, you're peaceable, you're peaceful. You're overcoming evil with good. And and guys, here's the bad news, I wish we could just get up one time in the morning, read this, and say, okay, got it. 
And this is shepherding your heart throughout the day. This is me going to the post office and saying, Lord, obviously you want me in this line for a purpose. Uh, yeah, I had a situation yesterday. I ordered takeout for a restaurant. We were taking lunch to some, some folks. And uh, so, being wise, diligent with my time, I call in the order. They said it'll be ready in a half an hour. Okay, I got a half hour to go do what I need to go do. I'm killing two birds with one stone. Efficiency expert, remember that? So I get there. Oh, we didn't put your order in. And praise God, because I had spent time preparing this, I was able to say, God, obviously you have me sitting here a little bit longer than I had thought I would. And I'm telling you, the peace I had of just recognizing this is God's best for me. The efficiency expert, Tom, not wouldn't have been pretty. My heart would have been grumbling. Let me let me get to the root because if I, if I'm going to come to you and call disappointment, discouragement, and despair red flags, I, I need to give you some good news. I, I need to give you I, I need to give you the reality of who we are as Christians. I need to take you to Galatians chapter 5. You can go there if you want. I want to spend a little time talking about the blue circle as it relates to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If you look on the blue, blue scale, um, many of the things here are, are what you find about us in the Holy Spirit living in us, the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I'll read it. I know you're familiar with Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's the thing. Love is an action. It is, biblical love is an action. That love that you see in the fruit of the Spirit is the same love that's used to describe God. It's agape love. It, there's four types of love, but this love is agape love. It is a dying to self love. It is the same love that put his son on the cross. Is I am willing to die to self because I love this person. It's not talking about physical love. It's not talking about Philadelphia, phileo, uh, brotherly love. It's not talking about love between believers because our unity in Christ, we love each other. It is talking about I am willing to set my rights, my perceived rights, aside because I love you. Joy. It's not just being happy and giddy. Joy is found 70 times in the New Testament, and almost every time it relates to happiness based on the spiritual reality of salvation. It's not that your circumstances are great. It's not that everything went my way. It's not that I got a pay raise. It's not that I have more money than I have checks. Uh, our joy is based on the reality of eternity. We're going to die and go be with Jesus. Peace. Uh, peace, I guarantee you, will not come because your circumstances change. Uh, might seem that way for a little bit, but... That's not change. 
Uh, and I know some of you have heard me say this, but I think it's important enough because I, this truly was impactful in my life. And it's John fourteen twenty seven. John fourteen twenty seven. I I know you'll recognize this verse. It's Jesus, and and it's called. I call it anyway. Uh, Jesus's last will and testament. This is some of his last words before he goes and he dies. Uh, kind of like when uh, your parents have a will. And if they're leaving you $100 when they die, the $100 isn't yours when they're still alive, but on their, upon their death, you now have $100. Well, this is Jesus' last one Testament. He says, My peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I will tell you that 99.99999% of the time in the New Testament, when you see the word peace, it is tied to only coming from God. Jesus, Holy Spirit. Not a new car, not a spouse, not a good spouse, not a clean house. Peace in the New Testament, every, I don't want to use every, 99.999% of the time, it is tied to, you would know, you go three, four verses either direction of the word peace, you will know that your peace is only going to come from the Lord. Patience, not being easily offended, but it's, it's able to put up with others. Just think about how patient God is with us. While we were sinners, His Son died for us. Kindness relates to the tender care of others. In the midst of life going on, and you recognizing you have a desire, and you recognizing this is what I truly deserve, and relinquishing your rights, you can be kind. And let me say something about kindness. I love kindness. I love the word kindness. Uh, almost every time that you see kindness in the New Testament, if you read the context, the near context, two, three verses, I don't want to say always, 99.9999% of the time, kindness, you will see, is connected to repentance. You and I can be God's instrument of repentance in other people's lives by being kind. It's huge. So in the midst of things not going my way, I need to recognize, Lord, this is truly what I des- deserve is death and wrath. And therefore, I can be kind to the people that are around me. It, it, it blows me away. I mean, because I'm not that smart. It, I praise God that he puts things in context near context. You don't need to read all 66 books to realize we get to be God's instrument of kindness. That is really cool. And kindness is about repentance. Goodness. It's a a goodness to others. It's a form of worship. Our being good to people that don't deserve to be good, we're worshiping God. Uh, Remember, it was God's goodness that he sent his son. So we might have a definition of what good is. God's definition is murdering his son for sinners. Who thinks like that? God. I need to think that way. I I need to recognize my goodness is not in not getting what I think I desire, but recognizing what I deserve, that I could be good to others. Faithful, it's being loyal, it's being trustworthy. Uh, 
it's the opposite of the swirl of discouragement and the excessive behaviors that can happen in the midst of just trying to be a lover of comfort. Gentle. Uh, is, to gentle, again, is another weird, weird word. What, is, what does gentle mean? We use it every probably every day in a sentence, and it just doesn't express what God meant. For gentle, you'll also see in the New Testament the word meek. And what that means is you and I can sit back in the midst of things not going our way and just saying, God, I trust you. For, for me to be gentle when I go into the post office is for me to say, God, this is what you have ordained for me today. I could be gentle. Self-control, it refers to the ability for a person to have mastery over their desires and their passions. Any questions? This is your opportunity to stump the elder. Uh, Anything that might help you clarify my lack of ability to communicate well. So you guys are way too easy. I was thought, thought I was going to get a tough question. Yes. That's great. I, I tell you what, I would sum it up this way. Uh, it, it goes back to why do you read your Bible in the morning? You read your Bible so that we will change. We will become more Christ-like. Uh, I would say use this as a tool to help you identify areas where you may be prone to sin, where you may be prone to easily be discouraged or disappointed. And I keep getting those backwards. Because disappointment comes before discouragement or, or despair. To, to recognize when you are in the midst of something being disappointing, not going as you planned, not as you hoped for, uh, that there needs to be change. And this will tell you what the change is. So recognize, if nothing else, leave here today knowing God expects me to change. He's promised to do it. I'm not telling you it's easy, but he's promised to do it. So that means that we get to have a part in this change, and that's our pursuit of him. It's our pursuit of the holiness of life. So if, if you look at yourself in, in a time when, when you see where you're prone to sin, be looking, you know, why am I disappointed? You know, it, Christina, I appreciate you pointing out uh, Genesis 4-7. You know, it's God talking to Cain. Why are you so despondent? Why, why are you so downcast? Just recognize this about yourself. And, and I, I say that because I know how subtle it is. Look at your heart. It, guys, I... I, if it's subtle for me, it's got to be subtle for someone in this room. I, it can come with just a minor, that wasn't what I hoped for. I, you know, it, it could even be a phone call. I, I just want to be left alone today. It, it could just be peace and quiet. It could be wonderful things. So here's the thing. 
This is where we're prone to blow it. And here is the change that we need to have. It's not enough just not to be a complainer. I need to become a worshiper. Hope that answers your question. Anything else? I, I know at 8.30 you guys go into small groups. I, I would tell you, not to discourage you, but this is something I have to continually still work on. That you, never, you will never get to the point where you just put the puppy in drive and it just goes. I mean, you continually, you will never graduate from shepherding your heart. You will never graduate from your pursuit of knowing God. I, if nothing, the, the Psalm 119.18. I have read Psalm 119. I have taught Psalm 119 numerous times in several different settings. And all of a sudden, one verse pops out. And it's a, it's an, it was an epiphany. I mean, it's like, wow. I, apart from being purposeful, I'm not in awe with you. With the Lord. Oh, sounds too. Sorry, it's one of your elders. I, guys, it, we don't get to put it on on cruise control. We pursue to the day we die. Don't be discouraged. Last chance for a question to stump the elder, and I'm leaving. Homework's good. Homework is wonderful. You, you know, I appreciate you saying that, and I would want you to know, because uh, I barely got through school. I hated homework. Homework is wonderful. It really is. We never get to graduate from this. We are learners of our Lord. Praise God. So, enjoy your homework. Let's pray before I go. Father, Lord, I do just praise you for giving us your word, for giving us a language, your word in a language we understand. Lord, I, I pray that and I think of the team that is getting ready to go to PNG. Lord, I, I pray in advance of the Bible ever being translated. Lord, that you are working in the hearts of tribal folks and people in PNGs, that, Lord, they would come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of you and your Son. Father, I pray for my friends. Father, thank you for the time I got to be with the ladies of Grace Bible Church today. And, Lord, I pray, Father, that we would just grow in recognizing what it is you tell us we deserve and being thankful because we know this is much better than we deserve. Father, thank you for your word. Father, most of all, thank you for your son, for his life, his death, and his resurrection, that we would have hope. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you all.